Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 172. And today we're talking site architecture and SEO. Before we get into today's topic, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Liquid Web. Now, while Liquid was been known as a managed hosting company with tons of options for many years, recently they've designed a managed WordPress offering that's perfect for mission critical sites. So if you're running one of those mission critical sites and you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner that you've been looking for. Now, every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer has iThemes Sync integrated into their management portal, and that will allow you to update several sites with a single touch. If you sign up today using the discount code WPTONIC33, you'll get a 33% discount for the next six months. So visit liquidweb.com slash WordPress to get started and use that discount code WPTONIC33. With that, I want to uh, let the panel intro- our beloved panel introduce themselves. And we'll start with uh, Brian, Brian Lee Jackson. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, yeah. Well, I'm currently I'm the uh, director of inbound marketing over at Keensta, where we are also a managed WordPress host, um, where we work with high traffic clients. Um, and then I also have a marketing blog workup where I spend a lot of time, and I'm working on our WP coupons plugin at the moment. Excellent. And uh, Jackie, I'm Jackie Delia, and I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I run a small web agency focusing on building custom WordPress sites for clients. Excellent. And then Lee Jackson. Hello, I'm Lee Jackson. And uh, I run Angle Crown. We're a WordPress agency. He giggles every time I say that. Um, A WordPress agency that specializes in creating WordPress themes for design agencies. And I also run the WP Innovator podcast. You are for real, definite. Uh, Jonathan, my co-host, introduce yourself. Oh, hi there, folks. Um, I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress maintenance support company, your trusted partner. Excellent. And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I provide custom WordPress development and local SEO for blue-collar businesses. Before we get into today's main topic, we have a trio of news stories. And the first one uh, is one that was felt around the web uh, when Amazon uh, Web Services uh, hit several businesses. Uh, Many services were down. Uh, This happened during the week. Uh, Brian, over did you have any... uh, uh, clients or or any services that were disrupted, and uh, you know thoughts on this. Yeah, we, I mean, we were dealing with it well before Amazon posted anything on their status page or oh. tried to fix their status page. We say, um, yeah. But yeah, we started getting clients issuing support tickets, and then suddenly our intercom, which is what we use for support, went down because Intercom was one of the companies affected. And so suddenly we couldn't have, customers couldn't actually reach us. 
via intercom. And so they started going out to Twitter and Facebook, which is of course, you know, what people do nowadays. Um, and I run the Twitter and Facebook. So <laughs> I was dealing with that most of the morning. Um, and actually for us, a big problem was people had certain things loading from S3 that was timing out and it would actually take down their entire site. So it was actually I mean, important, I think, to realize that um, even if your web host is amazing, because nothing was wrong on our side, external dependencies can take your site down, just one even. And so we had clients that with downtime that are on our servers from the outage. So we were dealing with it pretty much all day long. It was a, yeah, that was a, not a fun day. <laughs> not a fun day. No, it, it sounds like it. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show like how fragile the web can be at times. Uh, Jackie, did you have any uh, clients, any services that had an outage? And, and if you did, how did people react? I did. I had clients that were affected by it. I had several that were using services that were relying on Amazon to deliver that. So, and that did just, just like um, Brian was saying, it did take down sites that uh, depended on that to be part of the homepage load or things like that. And so it basically just brought everything to a crawl. Um, you know, it's, uh, there were some really good points in that article. One of them was, is I think Josh Strebble mentioned it, is, you know, that um, he'd rather be partnering with somebody that really had that sense of urgency and the the uh, so many people depending on it and using it um, versus having to depend on somebody that wasn't very uh, prominent in supplying services, right? So I think that there's, you know, I mean, you have to expect that things like that are going to happen at some point. They are. But it does, it does you know, show you how fragile it is because when you do have one provider that a lot of people are relying on, that um, when it goes down, it's messy for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, but I think it's just part of the game. There's, there's nothing you're really going to be able to do about it. Definitely. Uh, Lee, I guess it was just like a typo or something like that that, that, that took all of uh, AWS down. Did you have any uh, clients uh, or services on this that, uh, uh, you know, had an outage and what was their reaction? I got to be honest, my reaction was that I couldn't listen to Amazon Music. I was mortified. So that's how it started. Then I couldn't go on certain websites because they were timing out. So I was like restarting my router, thinking it was my internet connection. Um, and then uh, I realized that other people were posting, is the internet broken? Because most of the things I'm doing don't work. Um, thankfully, I had zero clients affected whatsoever. The only thing that was affected was WP Engine, not their hosting environment, but their uh, dashboard. If you went into the dashboard to try and go in and manage any of the sites, like I'm going to change your FTP or whatever, you just couldn't get in. Um, so they obviously use something um, with uh, S3. So it doesn't affect their servers. All the websites were still mm -hmm. live but you couldn't go in to like make a backup or do anything. There was just a notification saying, you know, our admin panels are all down until um, Amazon have sorted themselves out. And obviously I couldn't watch Netflix either. So that was terrible, but yeah, we weren't affected um, at all by Amazon, which is kind of nice. That's not to say though, that um, we've not been affected by downtime. And I think what people forget, and I think Jackie was hitting on this is that you've got to expect that, no service is going to be up 24 hours a day forever, no matter how big they are. So um, there's a lot of people moaning about the whole Amazon thing. 
everyone noticed because it affected an awful lot of things, but actually, you know, even WP Engine or never Kinstar, obviously, but, uh, you know, other services <laughs> do sometimes have the odd downtime, you know, and, uh, and nobody died, or at least I hope to God there was no hospitals using Amazon S3. So that's a great point. You can't rely <laughs> on any hosting or, or any service at all to be a hundred percent uptime. There's always things that break, um, you know, last week, um, you know, Cloudflare, uh, this week it was this, yeah. you know, a few, like six months ago it was Linode. So, you know, no matter what, Jonathan, uh, did, did you have any clients? I know we, we know at least one, um, uh, company that's on AWS. Did, did anybody, uh, have any thoughts on this or? Well, uh, well, actually, because I, I think it might have affected the WP Tonic a little bit because I'm used the um, I use a little plugin from Delicious Brain that stores photos on S3. So I don't know, um, but probably the cache um, helped not for that to show. Um, I thought it was just a bigger, interesting um, observation. Um, you know, the internet started as a, a defense project, um, basically um, to protect um, critical defense um, systems and distribute them so there wasn't one central um, um, server or center that if it was knocked out, it would knock out the total defense network. And that's the origins of the internet. But, um, and it's really been um, gospel for the past couple of years or longer that APIs and using other people's services was going to be, you know, the next great thing. And it, you know, and it, and it's got all that kind of momentum behind it, but there, but also there's consequences, isn't there, John? No, definitely there is. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like um, you know, internet started as a defense project, ARPANET. You can read about that in uh, what the Dormouse said. Uh, I'll link that up in show notes. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you or, know, or like, just what, ask Jonathan because he remembers. So. Bailing. Uh, <laughs> He was involved in that project. I was, I was. I was actually. And it begins. It begins. All right, the battle's on. Uh, the second news story that we had he was... Just, uh, he just couldn't resist it, could he? Just, uh, no. he just could hold it back. Couldn't. I held back twice. He's I hung, held back twice. Folks, it just burst out. If you, follow, if you follow Lee on his Facebook, he's been starving himself, and I think it's actually affecting his brain there. Uh, um, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, the second news story, Next Gen Gallery uh, it patched some critical SQL injection vulnerabilities. Um, I don't know if anybody here has clients on that. Basically, this... What this vulnerability was a nine out of ten on a Sucuri's dread scale. Uh, that stands for damage. Can I can I jump in? Can I I'm just go for it. Um, I've jump really in. got some mixed feelings. I had mixed feelings and put in this um post up, but it's not been the most active news week, has it? But um the reason why I suggested it is I got such mixed feelings about these constant 
Um, I'm not going to choose one security company, but there's a host of them, and they post these stories. And I know, I know it's important, and it's important to keep these plugins updated and keep everything. But I also think there's a consequence in the way that WordPress is seen. And it, the unfortunate, and I just wanted to see if the panel agree with this, that I've got a feeling the unfortunate consequence is people outside the WordPress bubble start to see WordPress as being a lot less secure than other platforms. And that's a consequence of all this. What do you think, John? Well, I, I think that there, you know, honestly, I, I'll just say this. I've approached clients before and, and maybe just talk about security before, like, you know, maybe throw in like a line in, in proposals about, you know, keeping stuff up to date, keeping plugins up to date. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like, wait a minute. Like, you mean this isn't like, you know, and it like it starts. They didn't even think about security until I mentioned that. But uh, when you look at like any CMS, like Drupal is modules. I mean, it's like the same thing as plugins. Uh, it's, you know, essentially like the, the, the same type of formula. Um, but it, this news does kind of like, you know, I, I think that we focus in on it. I'm not sure that, that the casual client like is even aware of stuff like this. A lot of the clients that I have are not even aware of this. Um, like I said, I, I've run into businesses that are larger than you might think that never even update their plugins, you know, maybe like once every blue moon. So I don't know about that. I, I think within the web community, it makes people think that WordPress is insecure. I want to ask Lee because I know that he wrote an article just like uh, like this morning or published one about security. Um, WordPress is not um, you know, insecure, you know, it was, is, is news like this, like part of what inspired you to write that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, people, a lot of people misread it and I had decided not to edit it because every time I reshare it, people argue with me, which is awesome. Um, but the, the idea is, is that I'm trying to point out that WordPress in itself is not necessarily insecure, although yes, there, you know, recently was a vulnerability and it got fixed, etc. But people often forget that, no matter what platform you use, there humans built it. So there is going to be some flaws now and again because none of us are infallible. And also, people also forget that not only do they use a CMS, but they also use a server. And they also have a firewall on that server. And that server has an operating system, which in itself is potentially insecure. It's not been updated. It's not been patched. The firewall has all ports open, something ridiculous. You've got a poor host. There's just, you know, it bugs me when I when I hear this blanket statement of WordPress is insecure. And then I just kind of like this inner green monster just pours out of me and I, 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 I get angry. The only thing on this next gen thing, though, is it's quite a... It's quite a, a serious bug, and it's also quite an easy thing to have avoided, just preparing your statements correctly, etc. Um, there's a function inside of WordPress to do this. Um, so I was quite surprised that there was such a big, glaringly obvious bug there. Um, you know, those are the sorts of things that I would slap people internally, not physically, you know, just verbally. I don't want to get sued <laughs> uh, for doing something like that. So it seemed, you know, quite a surprising bug. But hey, again, we're human, aren't we? We, we miss things. 
Leave, are... leave the green hunk slapping these bad <laughs> plugging producers. Brian, thoughts on this? You know, uh, did, did you have anybody on next gen? Um, and, and do you think that WordPress is perceived as insecure by this constant stream of news? Um, I'm sure we had clients that had problems. Fortunately, by then, AWS was back up, so I wasn't doing support. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. I'm sure, I think I remember seeing stuff in Slack about this from the internal team. Um, but uh, I try not to do support stuff. But I think, like Lee was saying, I think I have that same pet peeve because I wrote a while back, like the 19 steps to secure your WordPress site. And whenever I share that, people always say, that's why I don't use WordPress. That's the first response. And it just, it angers me because the 19 steps aren't to fix WordPress. They're for users to fix what they're doing wrong. It's not yeah. WordPress in itself. Yeah. Um, and I was actually just updating that the other day. And um, the WordPress stats page actually has some really cool stats. And according, it's, it's frequently updated too. And according to a couple of days ago, over 60% of WordPress users are under PHP 5.6 still. Yep which hasn't been supported for years. So that's almost a way bigger problem than next gen, in my opinion. Like, I would agree. I would agree. Um, so I, the next gen thing was kind of weird and it, I don't like when people don't update their change logs. There was a story an issue with that too, where they kind of, I think held off updating it cause they didn't want all hell to break loose, <laughs> which I understand, but it also seems like they were kind of hoping no one would notice. And security and word fence will notice. Guaranteed, <laughs> they'll notice everything. Yeah. So, I don't for think me, you hide it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but for me, I'm thankful when stuff like this comes out because you know I might have like one or two clients that have next gen, and so when I see stuff like this, I know to go update it like immediately because I, you know, I don't always have like email. I'm not on the email list of like every single plugin that like I maintain for every single client site. Uh, Jackie, you know, is something that Brian said that, that really um, I've seen over and over and over is, you know, people might think that WordPress is insecure, but it's, it's not really so much that sometimes they're running. I mean, I see a lot of companies like running uh, businesses. Uh, their site is like on an outdated, uh, not being supported version of PHP um, and maybe like the hosting company, uh, doesn't want to, you know, upgrade it. And there's all these different like components. It's not just WordPress, but WordPress gets the blame. Um, is it just because WordPress is so big, uh, that, that, that seems like they're always in the news for, for different things like this, or if Drupal or Joomla was 27% of the web, would they be getting uh, a bad rap like this as well? Of course they would. I, I, you know, I don't think it's WordPress per se. And there's lots of moving parts in WordPress. So one thing that you just brought up was, you know, plugins being sanitized. Well, a lot of people who are first starting out and writing a plugin and putting it up in the repo may not be aware of all of the coding standards that you need to to go through and may not be sanitizing, you know, user input that's coming in. And that's a big vulnerability there. So yeah, when it's in a big plugin, like, you know, that has a lot of people using it, like NextGen, it is an issue. Um, but the other thing is, is that, you know, be careful about the plugins you're loading, make sure that uh, you know, 
that they're being actively supported, they're being updated, and, and know who the people are that, you know, are writing them. You know, are they people that, that you would want building a plugin for you? You know, that would be one thing. The other, the other thing is, I lost my train of thought. I hate when that happens. Uh, all right, we'll just go on. If I think of it, I'll, I'll say it again. I've got something cool to share, by the way, guys. Do like, it. Uh, there's a system called ModX, which is um, touted as being super secure because it's not had anything reported, any vulnerability recorded for uh, since 2014. Um, but I just went and double-checked, and they've had three things reported over December. So the guy that used to slap me across the head with how secure ModX is, I can't wait to just show him this link. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Right, the other thing was is thank you, Lee. Uh, <laughs> the other thing was is that that part of the story about when to share when you find a vulnerability, like Sakuri, when they shared that, and the the controversy about whether or not you want to make something public so that hackers are aware of exactly where to go to exploit it uh, versus informing everybody so that they can go update their plugin. And I think that's um, not an easy answer, honestly. I think, you know, it's, you're wondering, okay, well, what's the best course of action really? And, you know, obviously the goal is, is to get the plugin updated as quickly as possible to as many people as possible so that it reduces the vulnerability. But bringing it out right in the open before the, they've had a chance to push out the updates is like saying everybody, hey, it's right over here. Go here and do this, and there you go. You can just blow up their site. And I just wonder, you know, how everybody else felt about that. It, it just seems odd to me. I think um, at some point you have to let people know. Yeah, and I think their security and word fence are still trying to acquire customers because of publishing that news too. They're trying to get people to sign up for their stuff. I think that's one reason they publish it so frequently and so out there. Yeah, uh, just to finish off, because I want to get on to Brian's story. Um, I was just thinking, I think I'm a bit wrong, because I was thinking about what Chris Lemmer lectured me on about being in the playground. And right. basically, this ain't going to change, is it, John? Because... There's various factors that lead to this, and those factors ain't going to change any day soon, are they? No, I mean, it, it, it's not just WordPress. It's not just keeping your plugins updated. You got to have, like, good uh, hosting. Uh, it would help to have someone in your corner, like a either an agency or a uh, consultant, somebody that can tell you, like, what plugins to use and help you choose good hosting and help you, you know, take proper security measures, all those things do matter. Um, you know, building a website is one thing, but maintaining it and keeping it safe and, and running like properly is, is a whole nother thing. So, you know, and guys, um, if you're not sure, connect with WPtonic.com. There you go. Yeah, and <laughs> get on PHP seven, get on PHP seven. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, our last, uh, our last news story is like by Brian Lee Jackson. And uh, this is all behind the scenes of launching a premium WordPress coupon plugin. Take us, you know, go ahead and take the center stage. Uh, just, you know, walk us through this whole thing. Then, um, yeah. Sure, yeah. Well, it started out, you know, on WorkUp, I, I think everyone knows I do affiliate marketing. And so I, um, I like to think of myself, hopefully, as more honest affiliate marketer. I don't 
try to refer, I don't want to call anyone out, but I don't refer some companies I think that don't have good products. So I just, they'll never be on my site. Yeah. For the money. And I see other affiliate marketers do that. I'm sure they make lots of money. I just choose not to do that. Um, but because of that, I usually have to work a little harder or figure out other tricks to get around all these other people. Um, and so it started out with just trying to figure out ways to increase click-through rates and signups on my workup site. Um, and fortunately, um, my brother, who's a WordPress developer, I reached out to him and said, hey, can you build this for me? I, I need this to happen. Um, I really wanted just like a side widget for coupons and a, like a deals page built uh, and a short code that I can put stuff in, which is not really that complicated, but I'm not a developer either and it would take me longer. And so um, I looked out there for what was currently available and there were a few things, but nothing that had everything, nothing that screamed out to me saying, hey, I, this person's building a full-fledged coupon plugin. Um, and that's really what I wanted. So I, I reached out to my brother. He whipped up something. He's super fast with that stuff. He's and we had something up the next week on workup. Um, and we, he started tweaking it, you know, over weeks after I kept saying, Hey, let's do this. Let's add this. Let's, um, I'm seeing good results from this. Um, and after about six months, we were getting really good results. And I started getting lots of emails from people saying, Hey, what is that thing on your site floating around? I want that. Um, and at first I just ignored people saying, I, you know, it's just something we custom built. Sorry, it's not available. Um, we don't have time to publish it. Um, but after ignoring so many emails, you start wondering, maybe you should do something else about this. And so we decided to finally launch our plugin um, as a premium plugin. Um, I decided to go 50-50 kind of as a partner with my brother. Um, and that's one thing I think if people can find a developer as a partner, I think it made our job a lot easier. Um, I probably, to be honest, if I had to go to freelance or something, or if I didn't know as many people as I know in the WordPress community as I do now, I probably wouldn't have ever gone through with the plugin. So I think people should really leverage like WordPress Facebook groups, um, even groups like WP Tonic, like coming on here and asking, where can I find good developers? Um, and, um, or reaching out to you guys directly. There's tons of resources out there that are better than I say, just going to, you know, freelance or those places. Cause you never know what you're going to get. And if you're disappointed the first time around, it might completely cripple your entire project um, altogether. So fortunately I got lucky cause I, I know some people and my brother does this for a living. Um, so we partnered up. Um, we had the decision of whether we wanted to go in the repository or not. I think that's a big decision every, plugin developer has to make. Um, having worked at KeyCDN a while back, we had three, we had, they have three plugins still in the repository and we got lots of lots of traffic from the repository um, just sitting there from um, searches in the repository. Um, you know, someone would search for a CDN and it would bring up our CDN enabler plugin. Um, so you can't beat the traffic you get from the repository. So, if you don't get that, you kind of have to figure out another way to get traffic. Um, and so for us, we were really just hoping to leverage the current traffic we had on Workup and the WordPress community and our affiliate program, which we later launched. And 
fortunately, it turned out working well for us. Um, people liked the plugin. They started sharing with other people, and it kind of just kept building from there on. Um, but we learned a lot of hard lessons. I don't know going back. I wouldn't want to do another plugin, to be honest. It's a lot more work than anyone ever thinks it is. Um, when you download a plugin off the repository, you have no idea how much work goes into it. I have a lot more respect for developers myself now, having worked on one myself. Um, and yeah, I see just the time involved is you got to multiply it by like three times what you think it's going to cost. Um, and then yeah, support tickets too. We really don't have that many support tickets because our coupon is fairly simple, thankfully. So a lot of the emails we get are actually support requests or sorry, feature requests. And so we have to decide between the two of us if we want to add this feature or if we want uh, not want to add it. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting ride. Um, I don't want to discourage anyone from making plugins. It's, it's been fun too, a really good learning experience. Um, and actually, um, the plugin right now is actually one third of our income after affiliate sales and advertising on, on one of our other sites. So it has actually built up into a nice, nice stream of revenue. And I think it's good for affiliate marketers and bloggers out there to diversify your income because you can never rely on Google. And this is one actually avenue where I feel a little safer than some of my other, my other avenues. So anyone have any questions? I like, uh, you know, on the feature requests, I like the fact that you uh, were saying that you, and the mistake I made when I first tried to launch my product about three years ago was I, I never actually got to launch um, when I thought I was going to launch because I was just building in every single freaking feature I could possibly think of or that people fed back to me. Uh, and one of the lessons you learned, which I can really resonate with, uh, you know, is that don't try and do everything. You know, simple is good. Do the core, you know, create the core solution and, you know, and launch that core solution. Uh, don't be tempted to try and complicate things because if you had have said yes to every single feature request you've ever had, then you'll have just made a support nightmare for yourselves. So I thought that was really wise and that was, that was really good in the article. Yeah. And one tip for that to make that easier for people, if my brother and I both have full-time jobs outside of this, which makes it a lot easier to say no <laughs> for the feature request. So if you want to start a plugin, you know, it's a lot easier sometimes even to do it in your spare time. And that mm -hmm. way, if, if you do get feature requests, you might be, it might be easier to just say, you know, no, we're going to pick this important one over this other one. Cause I could see where if you were doing this as your full time income, I would do it myself. I would try to add every little thing possible that every single person has. Brian, I wanted to ask you, what, what kind of licensing structure did you decide to use? Is it like, is it open source? And um, how did how did you decide how you were going to sell it? Yeah, I mean, we did the GPL license whole ordeal thing, even though we're not in a repository, we, um, you know, we don't want to get backlash from that. And I'm totally fine. If someone wants to go there, take our code, they can do it. I don't, I feel like we've built up enough now that I'm not even, I don't even care if they try. So, um, but we went with a, a yearly, um, renewal. So obviously we had to figure out a way to still be profitable over time. And so we looked at, you know, what other people are doing. Um, I think that there's a couple of people that do one-time fees and I really don't know how they make money other than upsells on add-ins, but I would be scared to do that because, 
especially for support reasons and stuff. So we did, you know, pay for a license. Um, and after a year, you can still use it as long as you want, but we stop sending you updates for the plugin. So if you want to renew, you can keep getting the new stuff we're putting into it. Um, and we have like a one website license deal, a three website license deal, and an unlimited developer kind of a license deal. Nope, sounds great. Uh, definitely everyone should go. If, if anyone is thinking about launching a plugin or if they're a non-developer and they're trying to figure out like how to you know, uh, get a plugin developed and launch, this is definitely an article that they should check out. Uh, I think we're up against our break. And so when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking our main topic, which is site architecture and SEO. And we will see you after the jump. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com, just like the podcast. We're coming back from our break, and we're with our beloved WordPress panel. We're talking our main topic, which is site architecture and SEO. And, you know, just to clarify, like, when I think of site architecture, I'm thinking of you know, uh, get an inventory of like all the pages that you're going to have on your site, how they like fit together, um, how everything, um, how everything like fits together, you know, URL structure, all these different things. And, uh, first thing that I wanted to ask is, um, I'm going to say, uh, with Lee, like in projects that you're doing, uh, when it comes to site architecture, is this something that, that, uh, most projects you're thinking about before we're, you know, you're thinking about the design of the pages. Where does this fit when it comes to actually planning a project? Do, do you mean where does SEO fit into the plan? Uh, not so much like where SEO fits in, but like when you're thinking about like, you know, how the the the, the actual structure of like, say, uh, how everything like links together, like how the pages like fit together, the actual like site um, structure when it comes to like URL structure. Okay. Well, uh, I gotta be honest. It's not really a conversation I have that, that often with people, uh, the, the content play I'm with, obviously predominantly working with agencies. So they'll have usually had some sort of a, a planning meeting where they'll have planned some of the structure, et cetera. And they tend to have SEO guys. Well, I say they tend to, the good agencies tend to have SEO guys involved right up from the get go. And they'll, uh, you know, they'll ask me when I'm doing the build, uh, they'll give me a list of things like, right, okay, for this particular data type, we need the URL structure to be X, Y, and Z. So I'll get that all up front. But that's very rare. Only, I finger in the air, I'd say 30% of agencies I deal with give me all of that structure up front uh, when I'm building the, the projects out, so building the plugins and or the theme, et cetera. Um, but in most cases, it tends to be kind of an afterthought for them. I'll do what I think is right with regards to data types, et cetera. And, and obviously you've got the permalink structure that you can override in WordPress anyway, kind of 
afterwards. Uh, but definitely it tends to be an afterthought for most most agencies. They want to get the design side off, get the theme built, and then, oh, yeah, we need to put some content in here. And, oh, yeah, SEO. Do you know any SEO, Lee? And I'm like, no, <laughs> run away. No, and, and I, I do think that that, that 3070 is, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brian, and, and I don't uh, know like your thoughts, but like say at like Kinsta or when you were at QCDM, are these like things that they think about like extensively, like, you know, how we're organizing our content, like when it comes to URL structure, and how is that going to affect our SEO? Are were there are there like discussions about this at, at some point? Or, um, I mean, there it seemed to be at both companies. There was when I started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there was before, but I honestly think um, they're both smaller teams too. And I think they one of the reasons was they didn't have time to dedicate towards this stuff. Like kind of like what Lee was saying, a lot of companies it's the last thing they think about, um, or until they hire an SEO person, that's the person that deals with it. Um, so both key city and Kisa now I'm the person that comes in and we are actively discussing this even in Slack last night, I was telling one of our other, um, guys that, uh, you know, I, I actually just 301 37 old articles and we're moving things around. Like we just changed so much structure yesterday on our site and we're constantly doing that because we feel like a lot of our older content is not up to par with our current stuff. And so we're checking our current rankings on it, seeing if there's any traffic for the last six months. If there wasn't, you know, redirect it uh, back to the basic blog and we don't want anyone seeing anything that's subpar. So we're always looking at structure like that um, and URLs um, interlinking. I think it's all very, very important. Um, and um, you can see jumps overnight if you make little tweaks like that easily. No, definitely. And uh, something I want to follow up with, like with Dare, like when it comes to like 301 directs and um, doing like content audits and, and, and definitely I know Jackie has thoughts on this too, but when it comes to something you said is like when it comes to, to, to focusing in on making sure that like the content is always up to date and like just killer content, that like plays a big part, like actually doing like a content audit of and and doing things like that. Uh, I think for a while there in SEO, a lot of people were trying to just produce mass quantities of content. And we saw a bunch of 300 or 400 word articles that really didn't say anything, really didn't mean anything. Uh, We're just kind of being published to be published and just were forgot about it as soon as you saw them. Um, Are people kind of waking up to, uh, you know, producing better content at this point? Yeah, I, I think there's a huge shift in the SEO industry finally towards that. Um, I feel like I've been doing this for a long time, but yeah, <laughs> um, there, and there are other people that have been doing it for a long time too. And that's why they're successful, I think, because um, they jumped on it early. Um, and for anyone listening, I mean, a quick tip to do a content audit, two steps, um, get ZEMrush, you can paste in your URL. It'll show you any keywords that you're currently ranking for. That's what a lot of people don't use it for, which I'm surprised. You want to know what you're currently ranking for already. If there's no keywords ranking and you plug the URL into your Google Analytics and there's nothing for six months, just delete it or redirect it or something. It's, it's useless for you pretty much unless you want to reshare it. But that's two steps to do your content. That's literally what I spent four hours doing yesterday was SEMrush Analytics 301. 
all day pretty much the content printing basically like yeah, improve, yeah, just, improve yeah. or delete and i think because they had a lot of like you said the 300 to 400 word articles because the guys there tried they had so little time they tried to do what they could and it was just not good yeah <laughs> i think that's probably what a lot of businesses do they try but in my opinion they need to either hire someone or just not try at all it's actually just a waste of time if it doesn't rank like it's just you might as well do one over a month rather than five over something like that. There you go, Jackie. And, and so when it comes to like your projects, Jackie, you know, so some, you know, some, some agencies like put some thought into SEO and, and some it's, it's maybe we're just thinking about like how the site's going to look, you know, and I know you, I know we've had like tons of discussions about content. I know that you, this is something you're actually like into. You're like, no, man, this content is going to be awesome. Uh, when it comes to, you know, planning out like, you know, the site architecture, URL structures, uh, content auditing, um, you know, how much focus do you put on that? And, and is that abnormal in our industry? And is it becoming more uh, normal, I guess? Just thoughts. Yeah, I basically start off from a user experience perspective. I, I really try to take the approach of if I'm visiting the site, what am I expecting to see? What what do I expect the organization of everything to be like? So that because you, many of us, and when you're working with clients, they know their they know their what they want. They know their menu structure that they've already predefined, and they they know where everything is in the layout and in the design. But visitors typically don't know all of those things. So I think you know paying attention to what visitors are expecting to see when you're building out a menu structure. And then when you are doing the, the interlinking of those pages, you know, content does really matter. And I mean, I can go back to when I owned my e-commerce business 10 years ago, right? So this was, and I didn't have the funds to pay for Google AdWords, but there were other competitors that were selling this product that I was selling that were paying for AdWords. And what I did was it was, um, it was a, a wind chimes. They were handmade wind chimes in Texas, and they had like 72 combinations of these wind chimes. They had seven sizes with 10 um, tunings. And what I ended up doing was creating a separate page for each one of those and interlinking them all with a nice little menu navigation and had little sound clips where you could listen to each one and did them in a little grid. But the time I spent building that out and the thought about linking them all together to make it easy for the user the visitor to explore it, find the one they liked and make a purchase. I ended up ranking above the manufacturer 18 months later. And I was number one in Google for that search for those, for that product. And it just goes to show you that that really does matter. Even 10 years ago, it does. And it still does today. So when you're, when you're doing all of that, planning that out and really thinking it through matters a lot. And I, I don't think, Many people spend as much time as they should on those things. They're not, many times I see they're not thinking clearly about what their menu structure means to somebody who's visiting the site versus what they, they, you know, they say, hey, okay, we want to have this menu. And you go, well, why? You know, what's the purpose of it? Well, this is how we, we organize things here. But that may not necessarily be the best way to present that for somebody visiting your site. No, that's a great, that's a great point. Uh, it's about, um, put, you know, organizing it in a way 
that people are going to find what they're actually looking for, like what they expect to find um, to answer their questions and not just what you want to push or, you know, like, hey, here's our press releases or whatever, stuff that they don't care about at all. Exactly. And then the other thing is, is that since mobile is such a big part now of it, most of the designs and everybody's focus is on the desktop and they may have like, like really important menu items down in the footer of the page. Well, on a, on a mobile device, they may never even know that there is a footer down there and you've got all this extra content down there. They've got to scroll up and swipe up to be able to see it all. So you really need to be thinking about, you know, what that experience is going to be like for somebody and what, you know, somebody who's on a mobile device and they're coming to your site. Why? Why are they coming to your site on a mobile device and what are they expecting to find? And are you making it easy for them to find it and stay there? And then that's that's how you get good SEO and good architecture in your in your site. Something that Jackie mentioned that I want to ask Jonathan, you know, when Jackie mentions like internal linking. Um, I know that that's something that we did like early on uh, was improve like our internal linking structure. And we saw like uh, a dramatic jump in, in, in some of the terms that we were like trying to rank for on the tonic. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to uh, a lot of companies, do they, um, is that one of the things that they should be looking at? You know, what, what is the benefit of internal linking there? Well, it's a, it's very difficult because it's normally it it's a resource question as well, isn't it? Because if you're just dealing with a a very small company, they probably haven't got the result. They're just trying to get leads, trying to get sales, trying to pay the bills. You know, it's day to day, week to week. But you know, especially you know, let's utilize that terminology with the startup community that's what it's like and then you build you hopefully you survive and you start building um and um you the website for a lot of service business that isn't solely linked to geography their website's going to be rather important, isn't it, John? So that when they get to that stage, that's when they start looking at how the site is converting. And what I mean by converting is not in such um, a direct cell, but are they guiding the audience that goes to their site to outcomes that will benefit the business on a short, medium and long term. And um, a lot of companies, there's been nobody there that's been in that kind of mindset. Would you agree that, John, or do you think I'm waffling? No, I think there's like a legitimate thing in, in what you're saying here. And uh, I'm going to ask Lee this as well. Uh, when it comes to, um, you know, calls to action, like on your site, uh, when it comes to leading people down uh, a path, uh, you know, is this something you see uh, when it comes to accentuating certain pages and, uh, you know, having 
not only like internal linking it at various points, but, you know, calls to action that are leading people to take certain actions. You know, how important is that for uh, site traffic? Is that something that you do yourself? Well, let, let me uh, let me switch hats. I run another go. business. Um, so I run another business called Event Engine, uh, and we actually license a WordPress product that we developed over four years, and um, that is specifically for expos and conferences. And one of the most regular conversations I have with them is, you know, we set them up. They've got this amazing system they can use as a plug. Um, and what the first things that we'll sit down and have with them is that conversation about what what type of users do they have and what journey do they want to take those people on? And um, which hence, you know, the importance of these call to actions, where stuff is, et cetera. And there's usually two or three different types of visitors. There's a potential sponsor. There's somebody who wants to actually attend the event expo conference. And there's also um, say the exhibitor, um, you know, and they want to encourage potential exhibitors down one path. They want to encourage uh, visitors you know, potential visitors, a footfall down another path, etc. And that is a conversation in those types of companies where their site is there to serve a specific, you know, specific types of people, then those are the sorts of conversations that do tend to happen. I think what's missing are the people who just have a general service-based business. They don't necessarily think in the, I want this type of visitor to go over here and give us a call. They just they just create a brochure site, don't they? Uh, so yeah, things like call to actions, etc., having things above the fold, all those sorts of things our conversations will have when people are considering their website as a vehicle to get something to happen. But I do think, and I'll open it up to other people, most people that I tend to tend to deal with outside of the events industry, i.e. service-led businesses, don't tend to consider their website as a way of getting business. It's just, oh, we, we're a business, we need a website builders a website mate <laughs> yeah definitely I, I, I saw jonathan nodding nodding or shaking i couldn't quite see what was going on um, or well, having a fit. i was grimacing actually uh, because i totally understand and agree why you used a term that i've discussed with john really rattles me and it's this term brochure site that is just endemic in the development community and in the WordPress community in general, this really quite damaging term, you know, it's just a brochure site. And for a lot of businesses that, um, if you had that kind of attitude around any business, around its sales and lead generative um mythology I, I don't think you get very far um but it's endemic in it john and i think if you're dealing with a very small business with a very small budget it's totally understandable but as a, if you're dealing with larger business if they utilize that term internally or in any way I think they've got a real problem. Well, I do think that there's a chicken and egg problem. Um, a lot of people might feel like their website is unimportant, but there has been studies that shown that consumers nowadays, and especially like when everybody's got a phone in their hand and they can just look up your site, 
people are making, uh, you know, 70 to 90 percent of the decision about who to call before they even pick up the phone. So if your site uh, looks like a pile of uh, piss, uh, they're not going to call you. And um, Explicit warning on iTunes. Yeah. But um, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, maybe it's you're not getting any business from your website because you haven't put any work into your website and you haven't done any SEO for your website. And so, yeah, you're not getting any business from your website because you've put zero effort into it. Uh, something that I want to ask Brian. There you go. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. There you go. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look too bad, does it? Looks Someone. very nice. Very nice. I'm impressed. I was checking you practice what you preach, you guys. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> But, but, but something I want to ask, Brian, you know, uh, when it comes to you, um, th- there's a couple things that I see um, people abuse a lot. And, and these two things are in WordPress. It's categories and tags. Um, one thing that's epidemic is people using tags as if they think it's going to make them rank. Like if they use a tag for every keyword that they they want to rank for, somebody must have told them somewhere that that is like anchor text. Maybe that's the only thing I can figure. And, uh, you know, people putting, you know, like 15 categories, like on each post, uh, as well. Something that I did recently, and this was something that I heard Rebecca Gill say, and it really clicked in my mind. And, and I, I went and did like a total, um, reshuffling all my content is, is only putting like one category on each, uh, post to to make sure that it falls in a specific bucket, and keeping tags to like a minimum. Um, you know, I was already doing that. A lot of people are out of control with it, though. You know, what's your thoughts on categories and tags as taxonomies and SEO indicators in in uh, WordPress? Um, so the the tags, in my opinion, are completely useless, and I I know index them on every site I have them on, um, and I actually hide them. The only way we use it at Keensta is for internal searching. So we have so many posts, you know, maybe we'll click a tag and find the other post with that tag on it for internal research. Um, but we don't show tags. I don't show tags on any of my sites. They're all no indexed with Yoast. Um, so I think they're completely pointless. Why would you want Google to land on a tag? Like <laughs> maybe they got to your website, but there's a lot better pages you can index first in Google than the tag page. Um, the categories is kind of a little different in my opinion because there's little tricks um, in WordPress. WP Beginner actually has a good article on how to add in your WordPress theme descriptions to your categories um, in text and Yoast will pick that up too. And so then if you index, if that page happens to get indexed, it's, it's very unlikely just because there's not a lot of content. If it does get indexed, I've seen some people do it really well um, this is actually something I'm working on actually this week. So it's kind of okay. ironic that you asked that. Um, but I'm writing cat- descriptions for the categories pages and I'm right now they're no index, but I'm going to unindex them and allow them to, for Google to start crawling them and see actually what happens. Um, so I think, cause I, if someone has a category page, I think it's still useful. You know, if you have a category of blog posts, um, the tags in my opinion is a little less because people, like you said, they'll add 50 tags. And you lose some of the hierarchy and structure with that. Whereas categories, it seems, if you have one or two categories a post is in, the, the information should still be relevant to the user when they hit it. 
So, so like a, a tag page, and and I'm with you. I know index tag pages too. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I I think I have about less than. I was probably about fifteen or tops, like twenty categories, on my site, and those I have indexed with descriptions. Uh, but but when it comes to uh, that, like you know, what what goes into like writing a good description for for categories? Um. I'm trying to think of the guy that's I can't think of his site. Uh, there's some guy I saw the other day that does it really, really well. Like I saw that, I was like, that's actually what inspired me to do it because I I put that URL on Google to see what actually Google was seeing it. Like it turned out really, really nice, and so I kind of was going to copy him. Um, but he has it, you know, a nice description, and then he actually added some navigation with HTML under that description, and then his categories fall under that. So he actually turned it into almost a full blown page kind of a thing and he spent I could tell he spent many hours on each category page writing unique content he probably had a good four to five hundred words so it was almost a page to be honest for his categories and then he had a nice layout of his categories underneath that content so it it worked really really well and obviously if you have 10 categories you know that's 10 additional pages in Google that you could potentially rank so I just thinking, I mean, you guys are talking about categories though, but I don't think I've ever landed on a category page. My, uh, my searches are so specific. And if I, and if I'm thinking now of looking at like, even if I've looked at Lee Jackson devs website, the category pages, the archive pages, I don't think I get many hits at all. It's usually specific blogs that seem to get, I've never really thought about this until you guys were talking about categories. Well, I can't remember ever landing on one. And again, my category pages don't seem to get much traffic at all. So, Well, it's probably because you haven't put any content on them. That's I, Mine don't either get any con yeah. or traffic right now, but I think the guys that I was looking at, I know they content or traffic to that page because I looked in ZEMrush. And so I think if you do spend time, I'm going to actually this next couple of weeks. Yeah. I think you could actually get traffic to those pages. Maybe so you don't want to, though. You mean like an introductory paragraph? So like something to change it up? Is that what you're talking about? Because obviously yeah. there is valuable content on those. Like people could go to a particular category and go find a whole load of stuff I've written about elsewhere. But I'd kind of given up on category pages a long time ago. Yeah, no, I think the trick right now is lots of content. Like treat it like a page almost. And wow, never thought so of that. Maybe have the first category maybe just right above the fold and have enough content on there for Google to crawl still. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something I haven't done either. So I don't know if it works really well yet. I can't say that for sure, but I'm going to try it myself because I think it could, I, I could see it working. Yeah. Watch this space. Excellent. Jackie, any thoughts on uh, categories and tags and uh, you, you know, what are your thoughts on breadcrumbs uh, as well? Mm. So I, I know a lot of people like to use breadcrumbs. Uh, what do you think about that as an internal linking strategy? Uh, well, first of all, on the tags, the the one thing, I don't know if it's still a problem with how WordPress does it, but back at a time, based on whether you capitalized the word or didn't, you got two of them instead. And like if you had a color red and you spelled it with a capital R and a lowercase r, they actually turned out to be two separate tags. I don't know if that's been fixed now, but I've seen many client sites where I've gone and seen multiple versions of a tag name show up based on spelling and how they, how they spelled it. So uh, yeah, categories I think are kind of worth worthless and uh, shouldn't really spend as much time on that. They, I mean, the tags, I mean, categories, yeah. yes, definitely spend time on categories. And I really like the suggestions 
that Brian made. And I think it's worth investigating that and seeing. And it goes back to what I was doing back 10 years ago with my e-commerce. I was basically building a lot of like archive pages that listed these products, but in uh, with unique content on each page. So, yeah. And I think we overlook doing that. We think most of the traffic, as Lee was saying, is coming to the actual post or the page that you've written, but, and kind of neglecting that aggregate um, approach of putting things together and then putting some unique content on that page. So that makes a lot of sense. I like breadcrumbs. Um, uh, typically on, on sites that are not very complex, um, it is nice to have a way to figure out where you are on a page. Um, there's other ways to do it. You can have, you know, cues in your navigation as to what page you're on or what the parent page is. But, but even then, a lot of times you have, you're thinking about users now, user experience, and right. they may not be, oh, yeah, this is lit up here, and you've got an underline on there because I'm on a subcategory page of this navigation menu. Isn't that great? No, I don't think they're thinking about that at all or realizing that that's why that might even be there. So I think uh, breadcrumbs do come in handy. The challenge is, is when you've got multiple categories on the breadcrumbs and how they landed on that page can be confusing um, if you have multiple ones and then you're trying to make a decision. Do you want to show all of those breadcrumb trails or do you want to just pick a main one that you're going to show? And I think um, that's where it all starts to fall apart. Well, that's something interesting. Like say if you had an e-commerce store and you had different categories for products, you could potentially have duplicate content if you're using breadcrumbs. Yep. Okay. That's, Something to safeguard against for sure. Um, you know, Lee, when it comes to um, just internal structure, you know, how how many clicks away, uh, how many clicks ideally should should people be able to get to stuff? Uh, do you, you know, what's your thoughts on on putting stuff like too far away from from anywhere that they would land? You know, how how do you think about site architecture in those terms? Sure. Well, for, for me, if I can get away with getting them to wherever it needs to be in one click, then I will. Um, so we did that very much so on LeeJacksonDev.com and the Angle Crown site, which is essentially going to have all that content ported over. So I'm petrified to know what's going to happen to RSEO when I change the domain. But anyway, another story. Uh, yeah, we try and make it one click to max. And it seems to be quite heavily adopted in... Uh, a lot of the agencies that we're working with as well. You know, I think it used to be if they can't get there in two or three clicks, et cetera. But I think the internet, with the internet speeding up, everything's loading faster, et cetera. People are actually getting lazier and more impatient, aren't they? So if they can't get to what it is, they're going to bounce quickly. So, you know, when people land on their page, they can get straight to the podcast. WP Tonic does this well. Uh, again, we're going to plug WPTonic.com. Uh, but you've got everything right up at the top there. You can get straight in to go and find out about what service support packages there are. You can go straight into the podcast. There's no hunting and pecking around, et cetera. So I'm a big advocate for, you know, um, find out what those key things are that you know people are, are going to want to go and do uh, and then give them an easy way to get there, you know, a quick jump, et cetera. And then there are other things that maybe aren't so important, et cetera, that, yeah, maybe take two clicks. Um, and this is only my humble opinion. You know, but I know how lazy I am. And if I can't find something on a website and if I even have to scroll down to the footer to go find something, I'm going to be peeved and probably not stay very long. <laughs> now, here's a good thought. And, and here's a question for Brian when it comes to like stuff in the footer. Uh, sometimes on sites you'll see like footers, they're like uh, kind of sparse, but sometimes you'll see them jam packed with links. Uh, 
yeah. uh, when it when it comes to determining uh, like what goes in the footer is do you utilize like footer links for internal linking uh, for SEO to accentuate like what uh, pages you might want to have rank or is is that just kind of like a catch-all for like anything that people might want to find that's kind of secondary no I Footer links hold so much power. And I was actually doing tests with this the last over this last month and experimenting with this. And two of the terms I was trying to rank for, I had, let's put it in this perspective. I had a blog post trying to rank for this keyword, a very good blog post. And it was probably the third page of Google. And I'd spent about a month on it. So it was not very good success. I did a landing page and put that link in the footer of the site. And I was on the first page of Google within 24 hours. So it, it does matter, I think, the domain authority of your main homepage and you know your main site, all the links you have, all that stuff comes into consideration. But your footer links can really affect um, your internal linking structure and the power that Google will see that that page has. So... I, I didn't used to be a big fan of footer links and you know, you see Amazon and all these places just doing all these footer links. And now I almost think I know why they're doing that is <laughs> because those pages will instantly rank better. Just putting it down there. It's something very simple. Um, I'm going to try to figure out a way to do more footer links without spamming it. That's my challenge now. But yeah, the, the links down there, very important. Um, on my workup site, I actually have a few like, you see people doing powered by kind of with affiliate links yeah. and actually my footer links bring a lot of my affiliate sales or oh, even over articles and sidebar, the footer links are clicked one of the most. Um, but a lot of my sites are desktop traffic too. Cause like Lee was saying, I don't think a lot of people scroll down there. I don't either. I would never scroll down there on a mobile device. Great point. So footers matter on desktop, maybe not so much on mobile, but the footer links yeah. absolutely do matter. Uh, Jonathan, do you have a question? Yeah, I got a question for Brian. I noticed Brian that like Manage WP and some other um, WordPress news curation websites, you've religiously post a lot of your articles to these type of um, websites. Is it been a is it a big factor in getting traffic? to the posts and publicizing the articles? It, it is. Um, I think it was Matthew Barbie who did an experiment. I forget who is some guy in the SEO industry, but I've seen this myself um, more with social, but it still affects like managed WP and all those sites. Like I've seen rankings. If you do Facebook at, if you run a hundred dollars against one of your blog posts, your keyword rankings will skyrocket in Google. And when the Facebook ad goes off, your keywords rankings will fluctuate back to what it what it would have been without that. So the point where I think it comes down to there's some social signal stuff going on there. There's traffic I think that Google's looking at, um, click through rates. I think all that stuff matters. But if you get more traffic to a blog post, I guarantee you your rankings will go up. So even if it's with paid advertising, you could increase your rankings. And it's it's almost a kind of a way to scam Google, to be honest, but it's a legitimate way to do it. The thing is, your your rankings will go back down to what they would have been before that. The, the hope is you would have gained more links or something from the paid traffic. Right. Whereas after, pay, after the paid traffic goes off, you're maybe two or three spots ahead of where you were before. So 
that's something I've been seeing actually been very successful with lately. Um, you know, boosting posts. And then when it comes back down, it's slightly above where it was before. And then just repeating that. But what about utilizing um, curation, um, like managed WPs? It's the same with that one. I have seen firsthand, it was no doubt directly from it, is Reddit. One of my posts um, a couple weeks ago hit the front page of Reddit, and I was on the first page of Google for that keyword. And once it died down, you know, Reddit lasts like a day or two, and then it's gone. Um, my keyword ranking went back to page two of Google, but I was on the first page, like towards third. And once the Reddit traffic gone, my keyword ranking went back down. And I was like, now I got to do the old fashioned hard work again. <laughs> um, but that's the same with, you know, manage WP, Reddit, um, Facebook groups, you know, any of that traffic, you can free traffic, you can get, it will help increase your rankings. So not just it's maybe, um, I don't think people always think of SEO as like social sharing, but it's definitely intertwined. I've been seeing in the last year. Well, it is really because it's linked to traffic. Which you know, I think. Yeah. Um, I I want to see if you agree with this. It's traffic, bounce rate, um, domain authority, um, these, and maybe external link quality. Um, these are the witch's brew that um, gets you where you want to get. Would you agree with that, Brian? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Like at Keensta, we have a whole Excel sheet we all share that we have places, you know, if it's this type of article, we go share it in these 20 groups. I, I, I highly recommend everyone create their own list like that in any type of niche. You can create your own database of places to share posts. If, if you spend time writing a post, you should spend just as much time sharing it, promoting it. Um, and that will help all the hard work you've done be more successful. Cool. I do think there is a strong correlation between number of social shares and how, um, and how high something ranks and, and what you're saying too, like when it comes to, you notice like when you're doing uh, Facebook ads, like a, a post would go up for like a little while. And when the ad, uh, ran its course, it would come down a little bit. I think part of, of what you want to get is those engagement things, like people either sharing it or liking it on Facebook. I know that, that I'm not sure exactly like how they use it, but they do look at those signals. Um, another thing that, that I would say is, you know, if you're going to share something, make sure it's a very comprehensive article because I think part of the game is is beating like your click-through rate for a normal article in that position. So say if like the first, if if like number one always gets like 30% of the clicks and number two gets like 15 and so on and so on, you want to beat like the, the click-through for whatever that position is that you're in. Uh, you know, and, and another thing I would say too, like engagement, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, without any doubt in my mind, engagement, things like comments matter. Um, some of the highest ranking, um, pages that I have on my site for specific terms have the most comments and the more comments that they get, uh, the higher they've gone. So I, I would say that Google really does look at it, things like that. 
Um, you know, I know that's a little bit outside of like, you know, architecture or whatever, but, but definitely those are things to look at. Um, you know, John, Jack, do, you, do you have any doubt about that, by the way, John? None. <laughs> Zero doubt. I can, I can actually confirm the comment thing from two weeks ago because Discuss was, you know, Discuss is now starting to charge people for the, to remove their ads now. And so I actually moved away from Discuss. I've always loved Discuss because it's made stuff easy, but I've always had that thing of, I don't know if they're actually indexing my comments. And I always had this hesitation where I don't think they were. I took Discuss off. And two weeks after I took it off, my ranking shot through the roof and I had so many comments coming in, I couldn't even keep up. So it, it, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's because Google saw all this additional content suddenly, like some of my posts have 80 comments on them and all of a sudden the post is twice the size it was. So like you were saying, John, the comments matter a lot. So make sure your comments are indexing or make sure Google can see them. That's Discuss your gone for the WP Tony website. You're <laughs> well, definitely. Um, it, any additional thoughts? You know, I, I think like basically what, what what we've said is internal linking really does matter. Um, you know, site site wide links, whether they're in your footer or your header, and the anchor text can really have an influence. Uh, you know. One last question I think that it was on my list that I didn't get to ask. I'll just ask everybody really quick because I know we're short on time, but URL uh, structure, how long of a URL is ideal and how long of a URL is too long? I'll start with Lee. What do you think? About this long. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Everyone um, says that, yeah. I'm going to make a note of that. Okay, great. Uh, well, I try and keep mine... I tend to use, and this is probably terribly bad practice, but I tend to, for uh, for the episodes, I'll tend to do a short version. So it'll be like episode 59. So it'll be domain.com forward slash episode 59. The actual real URL is like, uh, I don't know, 10 feet long because it's got everyone's name in and everything. So I'm the worst person to ask. Brian. <laughs> uh well, I guess I'm going to say the opposite of what Lee just, the shorter, the better, um, by I'm far. So um, and I've tested that. I've actually tested this quite a bit. Um, and so you could see some increases if you, uh, turn those URLs up. That's good news. Actually. I'll try. Uh, Cause I just um, let WordPress do what WordPress does with the title. So yeah. There's me writing super long title and then. Yeah. And I always do the keyword in the URL. So, I mean, my, my, my URL is usually consisting of usually like one or two words. That's usually. I, I've noticed that too. Uh, another Brian, uh, Brian Dean from Backlink IO. Mm -hmm. uh, he preaches that shorter, the better. Uh, Jackie, what, what are your thoughts on URLs? What are the, what are the perfect length? What's too long? Ones where it looks like you're spamming it and trying to manipulate the, the keywords in there and just filling your URL with a bunch of stuffed keywords. So yeah, I mean, it, if it's shorter is good and something that's readable too, so that somebody when they're, I, I tend to look at things more from the user because I, I just think that um, Google does too. I mean, it, you know, if it makes sense to people and they're visiting it, it's going to make sense for everybody. So from that regard, you don't want a cryptic URL that nobody's going to understand or not not know what it means. So yeah, I like uh, Brian's idea. You know, keep it short, but put your keywords in there, and so that it makes logical sense when you read it. So not that you have to figure out 
what are the what is that what could that mean if you're if you're saying that then you probably missed the boat on it no definitely i I think be a great example on the chat thread as well by Brian. So uh, uh, oh, sort of thing I would have searched for and a really good short URL. That's a very good example too of what to think about because if you do a lot of searching yourself, you kind of know what the pattern is. Like if you're looking for something and as you search more and more over time, you learn, okay, the way you word things matters about how you what results you get and you kind yeah. of condition yourself to be really good at at coming up with the search phrases to to find what you want and to make sure that your URLs kind of match that algorithm that you're typically using that's a good start no it, it not everybody searches that way so i think it's but you what you're saying is true the order in which you put words like in the in the search phrase is going to return different results. So like the example that Lee uh, showed is workup.com, uh, Adobe Illustrator alternative. Uh, if you typed in uh, alternative to Adobe Illustrator, it might return something different than uh, Adobe Illustrator alternative. Right. For sure, well, for the, sure. the actual title as well is top three options for cheap Adobe Illustrator alternatives or even free. Uh, and now me being me would have just let WordPress do the stupidly uber long URL. <laughs> so I've learned two things today. Maybe look at my category pages and shorten my damn URLs. And I presume I have to 301 everything now as well. If I start. Yeah, after th you have to 301. Yeah. This was a great episode for takeaways. Me yeah. too. Brilliant. Yeah, but but Lee, actually, I've done that on sites before, massive like that, and I've seen lots of like massive increases just doing that one thing. So, you might cool. actually, yeah, might actually see a lot of increase from it. I will let you know next week <laughs> what the results are. I think Google actually, and I I don't know if this is like ever been confirmed, but like from all the other people testing, that, from what I've seen, I think Google actually ignores like anything beyond eight words. In, in the URL. So like shorter is better. So and the other thing to finish off, I'd like to ask Brian, um, non-follow, you know, utilizing Yoast, uh, are there pages, areas of um, sites that you manage that you're, you make sure that Google isn't, or you're doing your best to make sure Google isn't, actually indexing those pages uh, i pretty much no index everything that you can in yoast um even like i think there's like the author archives there's a bunch of other additional author pages and stuff in yoast settings and i pretty much no index everything other than the you know your obviously your main the blog posts and then um the categories is something i'm actually gonna start indexing so blog posts and categories so is pretty much all I index, and your that includes your home all your pages too. But. Oh, right. Sorry, uh, I was trying to listen to that, but the naughty people in the yeah. chat room—they're <laughs> uh, terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to ask you to repeat that, but I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to listen to the show myself. You naughty people! You don't. Sorry, it's just that John said shorter is better, and I was just that just got me. Yes, you're. You, I can tell you, one of these children that was always in the back of class, disturbing the lessons. I'm like it in church as well. Like the guy will say something, and you'll just hear me going. 
coffee in the background. It's terrible. I've got to stop. <laughs> Brian, you're awesome. Guys, I actually have to shoot, I'm yes. afraid. Okay. See Tell us how to find Julie. So I disrupt. Oh, uh, find me at WPInnovator.com. You're all awesome. Uh, sorry you. I had to shoot so early, but thanks for ha- having me, everyone. Thank you. We love having you. Bye, Lee. See ya. So the note. All right. And then there were four. So um, just to finish off, um, Brian, um, if you're giving some advice for somebody that um, was trying to improve their website SEO, is there about um, three to four specific areas that you think somebody should in based on your experience should uh, regularly aren't doing right and they should really look at them, those areas um i mean if you go to keysta actually there's that check the 45 checklist i wrote about seo and i think that actually has a lot of good stuff in it um and it's stuff that i've learned over you know the last 10 years i put all into that article um oh, but, go read that so yeah it's a, it's a good one um but I think some big things are like we were saying before, shorter URLs, do your keyword research. Nobody does keyword research. So, and I, I, it's like, I try to preach this on every blog post I write about SEO and still nobody's doing keyword research. Um, I, people say SEO is dead. It's not dead at all. I mean, um, that's how I build all my websites. Um, that's, you know, if, if it goes away, I will have to find other ways to build websites. But right now, SEO is not dead at all. Brian, what's your favorite uh, tool for keyword research? The two I use right now, I bounce between two different ones. Is KW Finder is a cheap is a very cheap one that almost anyone should be able to hopefully afford, and it gives you really simple data. It's not overwhelming, so I would start with that one for anyone just starting out. Zemrush is the one I also bounce between just because if I want to know more data about a keyword, uh, there's other searches you can do in there. And Zen, is that, did you say Zen Rush? Uh, SEM, like search engine marketing, SEM Rush. Rush! Yep. Both of those two are good. Zen Rush is, uh, it is expensive. Um, I got into a grandfather plan, so I have a cheaper plan than they actually have on their site right now. It's, It's not cheap by any means. So I don't expect individuals to even afford that one. So I would say KW Finder is a good, is a good one to start with. There you go. What do you say? Great episode? Awesome episode. I think we should wrap this up. Maybe, you know, any of the panel won't stay on for 10 minutes. We have after hours, John. But I think we'll wrap (laughs) up the the actual um, podcast now. Sounds good. Brian, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter. It's uh, Brian Lee Jackson, B-R-I-A-N. And, uh, on Keensta's site or uh, Workup, I blog on those consistently all the time. Either place. No, and they're excellent articles. Uh, definitely. Jackie, how do we find you? You can find me on Twitter at jdelia, um, at jackiedelia.com, and I am the host of Rethink.fm, so you can find me over there. Please go subscribe and listen yeah. to that show. Give it some reviews, too. Uh, Jonathan, how do we find you? Oh, it's really easy. Um Ask me a question on Twitter. Uh, you find me at Jonathan Denwood. Um, you could email me um, at uh, Jonathan at wp-tonic.com. I do, anybody asks me a question or got 
observation they get a personal reply from me um, I also like to point out to folks um, you can re-see all these um, shows on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page um, they're all um, recorded and available there aren't they John? Correct, definite archived everywhere uh, anywhere podcasts and videos are available uh, you can find me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Lockdown underscore. Remember the silent E. And you can find me on Facebook, uh, just uh, Facebook slash Lockdown Design. For the WP Tonic, we're saying peace out, we out of here, and get your dose. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.